Okay, wow. That was great. <laughs> Felt like um, a glimpse of infiltration of a city that needs Christ and seeing uh, lives changed and in the tank to say, I want to be immersed in Jesus is a really cool sign. We want hundreds more of those, right? That's why we're here. We want to be the church that tells the good news that where I was blind, now I can see. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. Christ is the Savior who transforms lives. And man, people are in all different categories, and then they come to Jesus, and life changes, and that's what we want to see. I'm so thankful for you, among other people here, and the, the six uh, people. It's so cool. It's great. Make me excited. Like, this is why we're here. Um, you know, we're not here for church the way we like it. We're, we're here for church, for God to do his thing in the church to reach lost people. So they come to Christ and get eternal life. And maybe you're here today and this is all brand new to you. If it is, then I just want you to consider that the claims of Jesus, particularly celebrated last Sunday, is that he really is the Son of God. He really is the eternal Son of God, always existed, created the world, came into the world, died on a cross for sinners that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And today he's alive, and he's in heaven. And soon, in the language of Scripture, he's coming again. And when he comes again, um, history will come to a conclusion. He's coming again, the living Christ. And this is his word. So this guides us and tells us what we should do in the community of faith. And we're in a book in the New Testament called the book of James, which is a book written by the half-brother of Jesus. We talked about him last week. And the book of James has a context. And the context is that it's written to Christians who were primarily Jewish, but they were dispersed because of persecution. And the letter was written to them on how to live in a difficult time. For Jesus, in the world that didn't believe in Jesus. Someone said the book of James is like a punch in the face because it just grabs you and says, hey. And quite frankly, today's three verses that we're going to look at are like that. They're in a context, and we don't know everything about the context in which these things were written, um, but once we get to them, which is not going to be the first thing we look at, it, you'll understand um, why I do have a little concern about whether you can receive what I'm going to say today. Our world is in trouble, and the hope of the world is Jesus. And he's gathering people who love him to comprise the church, which he also loves and for which he gave himself up. His plan 
to change the world through salvation in Christ is the church. That's his mission. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates that keep people in eternal judgment will not prevail against the church going in, breaking down the gates, preaching the gospel, and rescuing people. That's our mission in the world today. I was thinking about what is our world really like right now? And I want you to see something um, that's not James, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And I think this might help us know why James is saying what he's saying. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, are we in the last days? Well, there were many in the Bible times who thought they were. So minimally, we're closer. <laughs> but I think it's more. And here's why. For in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Feels like our day. Lovers of pleasure, passion for things, but no passion for God. Attraction to everything, but no fear of God. In First Peter, Second Peter, um, chapter three, verse three, Peter writes, "Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day, following their own sinful desires." I think we live in a world where people are ruled by their desires. That's probably always been the case. It was the case in the garden when Adam and Eve took their desires. But the description of the end of the age seems to be this overwhelming individual desire to satisfy my own passions. And the identification of some of these lists of things that are given there drive home that when people are controlled by their passions, disaster comes. So we've heard this phrase in the book of James, not so among you. Part of the point of God rescuing people through his son Jesus is to give them new passions, to give them new desires to really reorder their life in a way that, unlike perhaps what is happening all over the place, every other place, that the desires of the hearts of people who have been changed by Jesus are a different kind of desire than what is going on in the world. And it's the new desires that actually are the invitation to people who find out that the passions that 
that many think are going to bring them the happiness and fulfillment, but ends in destruction, really can only be satisfied with the passion of knowing Jesus and following him. I tell you all that because in our passage this morning in the book of James, there is this word passions a couple times. And the word passion in the text of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, is the Greek word hedonon. Hmm. What do you think we get from the Greek word hedonon? Hedonism, the desire for pleasure. So let's just look at James chapter 4. You know, it's hard for me to jump in here because the end of chapter 3 says in verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 3 ends in peace. And then it's as if James makes a turn and says, the wisdom of God brings peace to people. And then verse 1 of chapter 4. And it says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Okay, peace in chapter 3, war, fights, quarrels in chapter 4. I have to admit, like this is a heavy little section here. So let's read verse 2 then, and we'll come back. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. <laughs> this is the text for today, okay? And so you wonder, like, what was going on that James would say in chapter 3, um, the wisdom of God brings peace, but why are you quarreling? And if you circle in your Bible what I would suggest you do is you, you circle down under verse 1, and you circle the word passion, and then in verse 2, you desire, and you covet, and then again in verse 3, your passions. And there is this theme that's running through that James is saying that there apparently is in the context of the, this church dispersed in Jerusalem, people who call themselves Christians who are so under the influence of their own personal desires that they are coveting and their unfulfilled desires are leading to conflict, tension, constant quarreling, warring against each other, and there is even the word used in the context, you murder Now, I'm not sure whether James is speaking hyperbolically or metaphorically. I'll just say it was not uncommon for religious disputes to be settled by murder. 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says of Paul, before he became a Christian, that he was breathing out threats and murder against the church. There were certain cultures in which someone who was not a believer was put to death. We frankly have seen it in our own lifetime. So as unthinkable as it might be, what if zealots came to faith in Jesus and held on to a little of their zealotry? One of Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot, he was called. And zealots were like warriors. I don't really know whether there was literal murder or not. But what I do know is there was conflict, there was fighting, there was hatred in the church. This is, this is written to people who say, we, we are the church. And then we hear this phrase, not so among you. So this is a corrective little section here. And uh, is it blessing your heart yet? Okay, you want to circle something else in these three verses? Circle the word you and your. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions and not on the screen, but verse four is worth it. You adulterous people. Now who talks like that? Like when we grew up learning how to preach, you, you, you never said, you, you should, you should. We'd say, we're all sinners. And we need to do this. But here's James, like, just saying, you people. Because there's such conflict in the church, in, in those who know them. And it affects their prayer life so that they're asking for the wrong things. They're asking for pleasures for themselves, which God is not going to answer because he's not interested in helping people fulfill their personal, sensual pleasures. They're not asking for God to be great in their life. They're not acknowledging that God is the giver of every perfect gift. They are asking for things for themselves in such a selfish way that it's incongruous with their life in Jesus. Their desires have taken over their spiritual life. And there appears to be nothing in them um, that will thwart this quarreling and conflict and this murderous hatred, whatever it is. It's hard to imagine. Now, what are the things that they desire? What are they asking for? It's not really said, but what are their passions? We don't know exactly, but it would be easy to assume that the things that they wanted most was prominence or uh, authority or some kind of power within the church, some kind of recognition, or maybe it's money, or maybe it's sex. May maybe it's all the things that they want for their own selfishness. We're not exactly sure, but we know that desires that are ruling desires, 
that don't begin and end with God always end in conflict and struggle. I mean, that happens in our own families, right? In our own marriages. When we want what we want, and it doesn't matter how it affects my bride, I am ultimately not going to be happy. She won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a conflict. If all I want is what I want, we're not going to have peace. So this text is going to resolve next week in a flow that says, if you love your passions more than you love God, you need to ask whether you really know God. Because friendship with the world is incongruous with a friendship with God because all of the passions of the world don't align with the passions of God. So one of the questions that we might ask ourselves is um, where are our passions today? What are we most passionate about? This is a really dysfunctional church community. And they are driven by passions that aren't aligned with God and frustrated because their passions aren't being fulfilled. And the call to them is going to be to humble themselves before God. Um, I wasn't sure what to do with this text. But the reason I shared the opening verses is because I think our world is actually intoxicated with selfish, individualized pursuit of pleasure. Pleasures that I want and I define lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I believe that a redeemed group of people who love Jesus are meant in God's mind to be the antidote for such intoxication. We are meant to be in the world displaying the passion for things that matter and be his church in the world while the church is, is lost in all kinds of ways and the church is intended to be that group of people who stand out here as his unique body changed so that we love him most. And we don't quarrel. And we don't fight. And we, don't, we aren't at war with each other. Hello, you there? Okay, so like this is where it gets really practical for us. And I want to say thank you to those of you who have been here a long time. Calvary Bible Church has existed for 132 years without split. We've had a few conflicts, and we've learned how to work them out. But we're not at war. Are you anybody at war? We don't want to be at war. We don't want to quarrel. I, come on, we... We've had, bad name, but worship wars. We've had carpet wars. 
we had rocks on the wall. Some of you want to bring the rocks back that used to be on the wall. But by and large, the peace of God has been on our church. That's a good thing. That's why we're here. None of us want to have desires that are so ruling that would lead to conflict if they weren't fulfilled. Tomorrow night is our annual meeting. If you're a member of Calvary, we're going to have an annual meeting and celebrate what God did in our year. Seven o'clock here, members only. But we're going to watch what God did in a year and plan for the next year. And by the grace of God, the church at Calvary has been generally on mission and therefore at peace. When I read these verb, uh, verses, 1, 2, and 3 from James 4, I think, man, may that never describe anything related to the work of God in this place. That we have passions that are so selfishly strong that we fight with each other if we don't get our way. It's like, that's not true among you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And a lot of people say, hey, could we just get back to the early church? Let's be like the early church. Okay, well, this is the early church right here. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, we read this. Uh, Paul, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it's re been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. Imagine that in the local church, quarrels. Hey, first, first Corinthians and others. And the quarrels that they had in Corinth were like serious. And first Corinthians was written to be a corrective of that. James is written to be corrective of the quarrels. I just want to say not so among us. What will it be like, like us? Hopefully, uh, as Bob mentioned when he was baptized this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 through 3 says this. Ephesians, there it is. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what the aspiration of the church was. Now, in the, in the James situation, that was Christians spread around. It wasn't an organized church in the same way that it was. It all met in one place, but they were meeting in many places, and their conflicts were real and fierce. And Paul said this, I appeal to you as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, that you walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Worthy of his calling with gentleness, patience, kindness, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Why? Because while those who don't know Jesus are giving themselves to any and every passion, and what is the consequence of giving yourselves to passions which cannot satisfy the soul, conflict and turmoil 
and tension is going to be the result of it. The church exists as a group of people who have been redeemed to set aside their own will, to seek the will of God, and to pursue the unity of the Holy Spirit's life in us together. Does that make sense? Let me just say it one more time. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to give yourself to whatever you think is going to satisfy you, but ultimately it will not satisfy you. And the result of your frustration of not being satisfied in passions outside of Jesus are going to lead you to have conflict in your life. That's the way it works. All is vanity until you settle in and know Jesus and follow him. That's the way it is. Now, we delude ourselves and think, well, no, if I just had enough money, I'd be happy. Or if I was just sexually free enough, I would be happy. And today, if I could just identify what I want to identify and then live it out, I'll be happy. There's a road that's coming. There's a conclusion to that. And it cannot be that it will lead to what is hoped. It won't. But the church exists as people who say, my, my highest Love and of my life is God who saves me. And he's redeeming my passions with which I still struggle. He's changing my passions. And he's making me new. And I want to love the things of God. And as I love the things of God, and I rub shoulders with other people who are trying to love the things of God, and none of us do it perfectly, and we have conflict, I learn Jesus' way in my life when I disagree with other people. But he was humble and lowly, and, and he served other people. I learned that. And so I grow as a Christian. The rest of that Ephesians 4 passage, uh, 4 through 6, there's one body. There's one group of people who know Jesus. There's one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, which belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So why would the church ever have schisms? Not so among us. You with me? Okay, so where are the quarrels among you? Isn't it the passions that you have that are ruling passions that are leading you to frustrations because they're never satisfied? That's the question. Now, not on the screen, but Psalm 37 verse 4 says... Delight yourself in the Lord, and oh, you know that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What's that saying? When, when you delight in Jesus, your heart's desires can be fully satisfied. If you delight in your career, if you delight in economic prosperity, if you delight in a fine, healthy body, it won't forever give you a delight. Trust me. Like the only source of delighting is Jesus himself, his forgiveness, his life. 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What's your delight? There was conflict in the life of the Christians in the first century because their passions were going crazy. And James just pulls them up short and says, don't be ruled by your passions. Be ruled by Jesus. The quarrels that you have is a a frustration. So maybe the way we end this morning is just think to ourselves, what, what are the passions that lead to frustration? And how can I lay those down and say, Lord, Somehow help me more, be more and more passionate about knowing you, following you, and letting you rule in my life. Our world is in trouble and needs to see a redeemed group of people who say the greatest passion in the world is to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what Paul said. I used to give myself to all these things, but whatever things that I used to think of as a gain to me, I count as loss in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm not there yet, but one thing I know, things that were behind, I've left behind, pressing on to the things that lie ahead, and I'm waiting for the upward call of Jesus. I'm pressing on to him. My delight is in the law, the Lord. I think it's just good for us to think about our our passions, our community, our unity together, and and the love that we need for each other. Okay, this is a tough passage. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask before we finish this morning? Yes. So, uh, I've heard sermons where I was kind of thinking before, and my understanding, and I don't know if this is where you're going, Great. That's a good question and a clarification. What's your first name? Jonathan. Jonathan asked the question um, or made the statement, which was a good one. Um, are all these passions illicit or are they actually permissible and actually part of life? I would say many, yes, if, if they are not forbidden by the Lord, the passions, um, sex is, is permitted in God's prescriptive place. Money is intended to be part of life and needed, but not to be worshiped. So it's the passions that become distorted, yeah, that that lead us away, become idolatrous, right? Instead of uh, all things freely to be enjoyed by the Lord, which is another thing that he says. That's a good, good clarification. I'm glad you asked that, Jonathan. I often ask, and no one, no one raises. So, well done. I'm, I'm going to buy you a donut after the service down in the cafe. Yeah.
Yeah. Sure. Okay, so Karen asked the question, where's the balance between serving other people, giving to other people, and um, being uh, cared for in my own soul? Fair? Okay, so who would be our best example would be to think about Jesus, who in Mark, the early chapters of Mark, you know, one of the busiest days of Jesus' life, and at the end of it, what did he do? He went out and was by himself alone. So there's really a necessity for us to be close with Jesus. Um, this is a little off the subject of the text, but it's like you can't be available to give to people if you're not nourished. That's true. So um, that, that's a, it is part of the balance of managing my own spiritual life and being available to others to, to care for them, which is sort of the positive side. We're, we don't have... We don't have quarrels. And in fact, positively, we actually do serve each other. And um, I, I think that balance is, is hard sometimes. And there aren't going to be many people who are going to come alongside you and say, you should get alone with God. <laughs> you, know, you know, you need to nourish yourself. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm happy to. One more? No more. Okay, I think we should close our service. Listen, um, I love that we read the Bible through, and sometimes when you just look at three verses in a section there, it says, like, how does that fit in there? That the, the writer is in a context that probably we don't know about, but there was conflict in the church, and he was trying to make it better. When we look at next week, we're, we're going to resolve some of that in response to this issue. I think our takeaways, who among us cannot ask the question, how much do my passions rule my life? And what passions are most determinative toward my happiness? There are some passions that promise but don't deliver. There's one who does. He's the Savior. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Follow me. Okay? All right, I'm going to ask us to stand together, and we're going to close our service in prayer. And John's going to come. Um, I'm going to pray, and John's going to just share a couple things that we all need to know. But let me pray for us. Our Father, thank you. Um, this has been a beautiful experience to hear the witness of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And we've given some time to think about um, the satisfying Savior, Jesus. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit will measure our passions and they will be aligned with your word and truth and that our passions will be guided by you that you'll overcome frustrations and tensions that may exist within well-meaning Christians who have always had times of disagreement. We all give thanks to you that your grace has been on us, that we, we've enjoyed our, the peace of God together. We pray for that to continue for many more years until you come so that we could be your presence of a sweet, redeemed people 
in the midst of a world that is confused and needs to see the grace of God at work. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be on us. May the love of the Holy Spirit fill our hearts that we would love one another. And may the good will of God be done in each of our lives and in the life of our church for your glory and the joy that will be ours to walk in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.